0: Welcome to Finding Holiness, where we delve into timeless Torah wisdom, revealing the sacred in everyday moments. Join us on a journey to elevate your spirituality and discover holiness in every aspect of life. I'm your host, Rabbi David Kadosh, and together, let's embark on a path of spiritual exploration. I hope you enjoy this next episode. And we are live. All right, everybody. Welcome. Glad to have everyone back, munching down on some uh, delicious food. Hazaku Baruch for uh, coming here online, uh, in person, coming online, listening to us. It's uh, always a, a, an honor to, to, to give Torah classes on Thursday night on the Parashat Shavua. We want to thank our, our dear sponsors uh, tonight's class, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Maurice Buzaglo, sponsored to Shul in memory of his mother. Says The words of Torah we say this evening. Parashat <laughs> Uh, and as well Shabbat Zachor this week. Parashat Tetzaveh is uh, known for a few things. Obviously, the main subject matter is that of the, the, the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. That takes a large part of the parashah. The beginning of the parashah is the commandment of lighting the menorah with pure olive oil. That's what we're gonna spend most of our time discussing today. Um, but it's also known to be the only parashah since Moshe Rabbeinu's birth. Not to mention Moshe's name. This is uh, this is this is the parasha where we don't find Moshe's name, uh, al- although that it is hinted in a few places. But Moshe's actual name of Moshe is not mentioned. Uh, there are different uh, reasons brought down to why parasha te save So of course, the the reason why Moshe his name is not mentioned in in, in the parasha is, actually takes place in next week's parasha parasha Ki <coughs> after the uh, story with the golden calf. Moshe Rabbeinu, was pleading with Hashem to, to forgive Am Yisrael for their sin. And he said, I need you to forgive me. If not, you're if not going to do so. Erase me from your book. Erase me from your book. That's what he says. And um, so Rav Yosef, Zecher Tzadid famously writes in the Sefer, Misifrecha is Misefer Kaf. You take Misifrecha and you divide it into twos Misifer the twentieth sefer, the twentieth volume of you look at the twentieth parasha that we're in is parashat. Etzaveh, all right, and that's therefore I was already hinting. Misifrecha is Parashat sav. Uh, I heard another answer that I want to share with you. Uh, of course Moshe Rabenu gave this on condition mechenina, but still the words of the Sadiq comes out, so he's gotta he's gotta come through with it. But now eyes, okay, let me see if I can delay it. Let me see if I can delay it. So when it happened in Parashat Kitisa, he delayed it to the next week. Uh, Vayakel. And then in the, uh, after, Kittisa, after Vayakel, he delayed it to Pekudeh. He kept on delaying, 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 until he went all the way around the cycle. Okay, and the last opportunity he had to erase Moshe's name from the Sever Torah is the Parashat before Kitisa, which is Parashat Tetzaveh. And that's why... Uh, this is the uh, one of the reasons I saw why Moshe Rabbeinu's name is omitted. But I want to focus today on the beginning of the parasha. bnei Yisrael elecha Hashem Hashem tells Moshe, "Now you command bnei Israel that they shall take for you pure pressed olive oil, katit <speaking> la'maor, <in Hebrew> pressed for illumination, le'ha'alot <speaking in Hebrew> nirtamid, to kindle the lamp continually. <speaking> in, <Hebrew> in the tent of the meeting outside of the partition." Asher ala that is near the uh, the, uh, the the tablets of testimony. Aaron and his son shall arrange the candles from evening until morning before Hashem. Today's ideas are are found from a sefer called the Magidim of the Yester Year, which is a beautiful insight that I want to share with you. Uh, what does this mean? Katit la maor that these these. Olives, is Shem and need to be pressed for illumination. So he says, Gemara actually says, What does it mean, pressed for illumination? To crush yourself. Every person has to crush themselves over Divrei Torah. That if you want to bask in the light of Torah, uh, as in, hayta ora b'ikar, as we're going to read very shortly in Megillat and we know that the Gemara tells us, Ora Zutora." The, the word Ora in that Pasuk of light is in reference to uh, mm. to the Torah. Then you have to become crushed. You have to invest all of your time. You have to invest all of your effort over the words of the Torah. There was once a Jew who went up, went up to the Katsuk Rebbe, and he says, you know, Kod I notice that you remain a lot, in the, in, the beta, in the Beta Midrash, in your own little corner. Why don't you go outside, go to the world, and go rescue these lost souls, people that are suffering? There's so much to be done. Why do you remain secluded? So he explained with a parable. He says, you know, there were once three wealthy individuals that were arrested and thrown into a very dark, cramped prison. And uh, there was a, it was actually nothing more than a pit. It was a hole in the ground. And you can imagine the tortures, time that they went through, And, uh, you know, being a a government prisoner in those days was very difficult. Uh, Two of the men were very clever, but one man was a fool. And the guards used to pass some food into a hole in which the men, you know, they languished. Uh, The foolish guy, unfortunately, because he was a fool, he couldn't, it was so dark, he couldn't find his way to eat the food. He was a fool. He just didn't know how to eat, couldn't see anything. And, uh, you know, every time he would take, the food would fall. Couldn't even put it in his own mouth. So one of the guys who was wise, every day, would help him find the food, feed him, just so that he can can survive. All day long, he he, he helped his inept uh, uh, cellmate, guiding him. And the third guy just kind of stood there on his own. Yeah, thanks. The third guy just kind of stood there on the side, paid no attention. Until one day, the second guy... The, the wise, one of the wise guys tells to the other wise guy, he goes, listen, we're here suffering together. We're in this, uh, the hole. You must have noticed that I'm helping the guy putting food in his mouth, and you're just saying on the side, why have you helped me? Why are you not helping me bring the food to help this guy? So the guy says, let me tell you why. I'm just sitting over here. We're in the dark. This hole is total darkness. And when darkness is in control, we can't see a, th- we can't see a thing. And invent what you're actually doing is you're toiling and you're working for no purpose. You are investing hours and hours and hours trying to teach him how to eat and how to move. And it looks like nothing's ever going to work because the guy's a fool. He's already been here several weeks. He still doesn't know how to eat. But me, on the other hand, while you're doing this, I'm slowly digging a hole in the wall with my fingers. Because as I get closer and closer, I know I'm going to reach a point where I'm going to reach outside. And a little light is going to penetrate through that little hole in the wall, and a little bit of light dispels a great amount of darkness. And then we're going to be able to see what we need to see. In other words, the Katsuk Rabbi was saying, he says, you guys do what you need to do. Let me do, let me do what I need to do to bring Torah down into, into, this world, into this world. What was the first thing? The light of the Torah. We have to dig to get the light. We have to dig. We have to press ourselves. We have to crush ourselves. Because if there's light, if there's aura, then you have simcha and sason vikar. Then you have gladness. Then you have joy. Then you have honor. All because the light was able to penetrate. How do we illuminate ourselves with that light? Simple. We crush ourselves over Divrei Torah. We toil over the, the words of Torah. We engage in them very strongly. Another interpretation of this idea of crushing yourselves over Divrei Torah is to literally crush ourselves, well not literally, we don't want to crush ourselves, but we crush our ego. We crush the I of ourselves. We subdue our arrogance. The Chachamim tell us that the, when a person is all about the I, then the Torah doesn't find a way to penetrate through him. Throw away your I, and when you learn Torah, that's what you have to learn, find a way to nullify your arrogance and your, your, uh, your ego. Once there was a, a test that was, that was made, a certain Torah scholar, that um, he said that he devised a little test. How many times a person would say the word I throughout the day? Okay? And he said the least of all the people he, he, uh, he did the study on, the least was 30, and on average was 200 times a day. A person uses the word I. That's how much we're thinking about ourselves. That's how much we, we care about ourselves. So the, of course, the, I told you I ate this, this is what I think. Is, it's all about me, 200 times a day. And what are we left with with our I after 120 years? In the end, we, all of our eyes end up in the ground, in the place of maggots, in the place of, of worms, in the place of dust. There was once a guy who went up to his Rebbe, and he said, you know, five years ago I was born. Now, he didn't actually mean he was only five years old. He meant that it was like the birth of his new self. He became a Baal Teshuvah. So he considered that five years ago he was born. But then he started complaining. He said, you know, Rabbi, in the first year, um, uh, first year, first two years, I had an amazing amount of siyat Dishmaya. God was helping me everywhere. Everywhere I looked, I saw God. In my job, my business, my family. I, I just felt like he was just guiding me. It was so amazing. The most awesome ways. Everywhere I turned, I had help from Akados Baruch Hu. And then later, I just felt like I started to lose that Tziyat HaDishma'er, that heavenly assistance. And I don't know what, what exactly went wrong. Well, what happened? Why did this happen to me? So the rabbi quoted to him a pasuk in Kohelet. The pasuk says, Lo lachachamim lechem. Nor does bread come to the wise, nor does riches come to the intelligent, nor does favor come to the learned. The simple meaning of this of this pasuk is that the wise man doesn't acquire Parnassah, he doesn't acquire bread more than the foolish one does, and that uh, and, and that many rich men are not very intelligent. So it's not the wisdom that brings a person. Bread. There's a lot of fools that made a lot of money. There's a lot of wise people that, are, that don't have money and that are starving. So, so, okay. So he says, the bread is not acquired through wisdom. So why does the text only mention the rich men? Why does the pasuk says, lo lechem, lo Why does the pasuk only mention the, uh, the wise men? Sorry. Are they the only ones that don't have bread? A lot of people that don't have bread. And he says, they're the specific ones that lose out. Uh, because when a person is wise we automatically tend to think that that guy is able to go out and get money he's wise yeah go you're smart you you're a business guy right you did well you got a, you're a masters in, in business so go out and make money why, why aren't you making money why don't you find bread for yourself you seem to know how to manage on your own go ahead He goes. the same thing applies to you he goes the same thing applies to you and your and, and your spiritual side of looking things at the start of your rise to spirituality when you first became Baal Teshuvah, you thought you didn't arrive yet. You were still on your journey upwards. Ah, what, what's there to explore? You still felt lacking. You still felt the need to connect to Akados Baruch Hu. And as long as you thought that way, God was there to help you. But slowly, as time went on, you began to think that you were already at tzaddik, right? That's what happens. Ah, now that I'm uh, Baal Teshuvah for three, four years, or now that guys who grew up in a religious household all his life, I'm a tzaddik. I I don't need to improve anymore. The moment you start thinking like that, you start thinking about yourself. I, 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 200 times a day. I'm fine. I'm good. Right? If, if I need someone, then it's not about me. It's about the other person. But you're now developing the mindset that you don't need a katosh anymore. So Hashem says, listen, you're a tzaddik? All right, good. Enjoy. Have a good life. You don't need any more help? You've arrived? Good for you. And then the siyat d'ishmaya dries up. That's the problem when we get, when a person starts thinking about his arrogance and his his ego of I, 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 I. So the the Gemara tells us in Masechet Erechim that at the end of this week's Perashah, there is is a discussion of the Korbanot, which follow the discussion of the, um, the close of the Kohanim. And why is that? Why do we have the close of the Kohanim followed by the Korbanot? The Gemara tells us because just like the korbanot are mechaper, atone, so to the clothes of the kohanim actually atone also. Something that we talk about in the Abodab, the Yom Kippur when we say the Abodab, right? We talk about all the clothes of the kohanim and, and what sins they atone for. So the misnefet was the hat of the kohen. It was the hat that the kohen, uh, the, kohen the the kohanim wore, not the kohen gadol. The, the kohanim. And the, the what we say on Yom Kippur, or brought down in the Mefarshim, that the mitznefet atones for arrogance. It atones for um, uh, Gova which is e- having an ego. So Rabbi Hanina and Gemara says, let something that is high, the hat is something that is high. Let something high atone for the feeling of height, which is arrogance. The person is, is haughty. He feels like he's at the top of the world. So now, this is a little bit surprising, says Rabbi Ali Biderman. He says, you would think the opposite. You would think that the, uh, the atonement quality for arrogance would be the opposite effect. Bring something low. I don't know, the shoes, right? Oh, you're arrogant? Yeah, think of the shoes. Are you really nobody. Why are we doing something high? If we're discussing the problem of, ga- of ga'ava, of arrogance... Uh, and, and that the people of the Jewish nation felt proud and haughty, how does the mitznefet, which is worn proudly by the Kohen, bring atonement for the arrogance? So the ma- Maharsha gives an answer to this in um, in a Gemara and Masechet Zvachim, where it talks about that there's a segula, that if a person wears a head covering, such as a kippah, one of the reasons why we wear kippah and hats, is it brings humility to a person. So segula for humility. The Gemara and Masechet Shabbat, daf nun vav, says that the astrologers said to the mother of Rav Nachman bar listen we see in the stars that your son he's going to be a ganav he's going to be a thief we see this in the stars it's going to happen so what did she do she wanted to protect her son she didn't want her son growing up to be a thief so she had her son wear a head covering and that she would tell him you cover your head and you're going to have fear of Shem you're going to have Yirat HaShem Yirat Elokim and and pray that the Yetzirah shouldn't rule over you. Now, he didn't really know why he, she was so worried about this, he was a good kid, but this is what the mom kept on telling him, make sure you wear your head covering. One day, Abnacham Bar was sitting under a tree and he was studying Torah, and a wind came and blew off his cloak that covered his head. He blew off his, back then it wasn't kipot like this, it was like a scarf, right? it blew it off his head. Okay, all of a sudden, the Yetzirah overcame him. He looks up and he sees that there's dates on the tree. He climbs up the tree like, a, like an animal, like a monkey, grabs the dates that aren't his and starts eating the dates. And he stole. He stole from trees that, that weren't his, right? So we see that indeed that that head covering protected Rav Nachman Bar So it, it humbles a person before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It saves him from the Yetzirah. Uh, that makes people arrogant and haughty and free to do whatever they want. That's one way of saying, therefore the mitznefet, which was the head covering, okay, acted as that symbol, as fear of heaven, to protect the person, and say, hey, there's someone in front, on top of you, kind of like why we have the kippah now, keep yourself low, don't be too arrogant. That's one way of answering the question. Another way that answers the question is that the mitznefet was a symbol of pride, atoned for ga'avah, because the way to overcome a negative ga'ava, a negative form of haughtiness, is to acquire a positive form of ga'ava. The, the the pasuk says um, about Melech Yoshafat in Devarayamim, va'igbal libo Hashem. That his heart was elevated in the ways of God. So there is such a thing as Govalev, as arrogance, when it's for the sake of Akadosh Baruch Hu. The Baal Shem Tov writes, "Why is it that Adam was the only human being that was created alone? All the other creations, okay, there was multitudes, but Adam it was created by himself." So he says, "Because he wants, we uh, Akadosh Baruch Hu wants all his descendants to say that the world was created for me." ni nivra bishvili. The world was created. Simply it was dependent on me, because the Yetzirah is telling you you're not worthy. You're not worthy to perform Mitzvah. You're not worthy to serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu. and that's why that's when you have to use Ga'avah and, and fight him and say no. I'm I am worthy. I'm worthy to be one of God's children. I'm worthy to be a servant to, to serve him with happiness and as well with Yirah. And the truth is that's not Ga'avah. That's actually the ultimate. That's the ultimate humility. People think that humility is. Uh, you know, feeling low about yourself, feeling unimportant. General, hu- the, the genuine humility is when a person actually believes that his filot are going to be, uh, de- uh, are desired and his Torah study is going to be cherished by HaKadosh Baruch hu, and that he's important to Hashem. That's, that realization is what's what's humbling. The awareness of Hashem's greatness humbles a person. Uh, uh, and it's, it's like a holy ga'avah uh, simultaneous with, uh, with actual humility. So if you look at the menorah, The main lamp of the menorah was the middle one. The pasuk says, make seven lamps. And light them towards the middle one, towards the face, which is the middle one. So the Chachamim explained that all the lamps were actually bent and facing the one one in the middle. So we see the middle one was the most significant. The middle one was also the smallest branch. It had to be the smallest branch because if the other ones had to curve, that means it must have been taller than the middle one. So we see that's the reason. The middle branch is important because it represents this trait of being small, of being humble. The one who considers himself the smallest, that's the one who's considered the, uh, the greatest. Of course, we don't have to mention uh, last week's parashah, the dimensions of the Aaron being all half dimensions. Okay? It was, uh, two and a half amot long, an ama and a, man a half wide, an aman and a, man a half high. Because when it comes to Torah, when it comes to spirituality, you can never consider yourself to be complete. You're always half there. Always consider yourself half there. I learned that uh, the whole shasa, you're only half there. I learned, uh, every day of my life, chazak, but you're only half there that brings you a sense of, of humility. The month of Adar that we are in now, the Arim stands, Arim says it stands for Aluf Dar Rash. That Hashem, the Aluf, Alufi, Hashem dwells with the Rash. He dwells with the, the humble ones. And among the traits of, of, of those people who are humble is Shom'im Cherpatam Ve'ena Meshirim. Uh, people who hear disgrace, hear people disgrace about them, but they don't answer back. They prefer to avoid Machloket, rather than stick up for their honor. I know this is something very hard to do. Most people, if you're attacked, not physically, but verbally attacked, your, your automatic instinct is to defend yourself and to act in defense. Hey, you talk to me about like that, but what about you? Look at you. And then you start this whole argument starts. But a person that is actually able to swallow, that's the meaning of swallowing your pride. That's where it comes from. I'm swallowing my pride. I'm not answering back. That is one of the highest levels that a person could read, reach. And it's mesugal for many, many yeshu'ot. There was once a, a yeshiva, Bet Midrash in Lakewood that was um, that was built uh, mainly because of one guy who did a lot of good fundraising. And uh, because he did all the fundraising, he made the rules of the Bet Midrash. So he made a rule and he insisted no talking during Tefillah. Okay, it's a good rule to have. No talking during Tefillah. Uh, each week before the, the reading of the Torah, he went up on the Bima and said, Rabotai, in this Bet Ganeset, no talking during Tefillah. Every single week he went up. Uh, now, some people in the Bemidras, hey, I wanted to talk, okay, I want to talk, whispering over there. I didn't appreciate these weekly announcements, right? You, you know exactly how it feels when someone says, you tell me to talk," stop talking, and everyone starts getting upset. They didn't appreciate these announcements, right? And every week they would say, uh, the guy would get up, say, yeah, 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 making fun of him, poking fun of him. And these these jeers, it bothered the gabai. it bothered him. And But he kept on going. One week, the insults that were flying his way, it really, really got to him. They were penetrating him harshly. And and, and finally, hey, you tell us what to do. You tell us to be quiet. Just because you have a loud voice, this doesn't make you any better than us. We also have a loud voice. And he starts screaming uh, screaming back. The guy comes down from the bimah. He's, he's he's shamed. He's, he, he's insulted. He didn't answer back. But at that moment, he went up to his dear friend. His name was Aaron Deitch. And he went to Rabbi Aaron and he says, listen. He goes... In the merit of the shame that I just endured, in merit of that silence, Hashem is going to help you give a child. of Aaron went 17 years without a child. And he goes, I- I'm staying quiet because I want, you to have, uh, I want you to have a child. The following Shabbat, the Gabai went up to the Bima and he said again, in this Bed Midrash, we don't talk, but he didn't have that koach anymore. He was still so insulted from the week before. A short while later, he decided, you know what, <laughs> this place is not for me. And he went and he left the shul. But he kept up with his friends. One day, on the yard side of a very big tzaddik, Rabbi Aaron went up to his friend and said, listen, come with me to the kever of this rabbi. Okay, we're going to go pray. We're going to pray for children. A lot of Yeshua. And um, and uh, the but by then, it was already 18 years after uh, after he got married. You know, me have children. Come on, like, where are we going to go? He goes, come on, let's just go. So finally, the guy goes, I'm only going to go if you go back and make peace with the people who embarrass you in the Beit Midrash. Now, it wasn't easy for a guy to, you know, to go make peace, ah, I don't want anything to do with that shul, but you know what, I'm gonna go just just for you. And my master's story ends that one year later, okay, he had a child after 18 years, because of the combination of five people, father, mother, God, those are the three partners in creation, the tzaddik, okay, and the gabai who, who swallowed his pride didn't fight back, and still went to make uh, peace with the other with the other people. Um, a similar story, a family in uh, in Beitar who didn't have children for many, many years. The husband was involved in communal work. And once he was at a meeting, a community meeting in Svat, and someone insulted him, usually you get insulted when you're doing things for free. That's generally what, what happens in life. Right? And uh, community work, and he gets insulted, he was ready to answer back. You know? and But he said, you know what? I'm going to stop. He goes, uh, uh, actually, someone went up to him and said, don't say anything, don't say anything. I actually have a brother who needs a shidduch, and merit of your silence, don't, don't say anything, just hold yourself back. So he remained silent. Two weeks later, the Bahur got engaged. But here's the second half of the story. The second half of the story, that the guy who stayed quiet, his wife heard what happened and he said, I don't understand, you, are, you, you, you had the merit to remain silent and the older bachur became a chatan. Why didn't you keep it for ourselves? Like we need children. So why why do you give the zakhut to the other guy? You know, keep silent and use that zakhut for us to have children. She said, "Don't he said, don't worry. There's going to be a time where someone is going to insult you, and your 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 test is to remain quiet as well." And he said, "Not long afterwards, again they were in Svat, They're walking down the street, minding their own business, and there's some rowdy, cruel, I guess maybe uh, anti-religious people poking fun at them." And her and, and his wife began to cry in tears like you know you're making fun of my my, my me and my husband how can you do so and and she thought that the, the husband thought that she was crying from humiliation and I was re- and, and and I was ready to go fight back oh, you don't talk to my wife that way and then you'll know, scream right back at them but he held his cool and right away she said I kept quiet now's the time to pray they prayed and a year later they had a child that's a, that's the power of a person that is able to retain, you know, their pride and hold it in and swallow their pride. Be humble. Is it's katitla ma'or. It's crushed. You're crushing yourself. That's how your zoche to the light of Torah. And of course the Torah finds itself in the most humble places. We've spoken many times about the water of the Torah that trickles down into the low the lowest places. Um, and that's that's where it deserves to be. <clears throat> I want to pivot. And go talk about something else connected to the pasuk. This is said in the name of Rav Shalom Shwadron. One of the most famous Jewish songs I remember as a child, which is actually a pasuk in tehillim, is Hine matov uman We grew up with school and camp. Hine matov uman Hine matov uman Behold, how good, how pleasant is the dwelling of brothers. Moreover, shevet achim gam yachad, in unity together. So Rav Shalom Shwadron asked students in the yeshiva, uh, what do you think David HaMelech meant when he said this pasuk? Uh, So some of them wanted to say, yeah, you know, friends, they come together at a wedding, at a bar mitzvah, they eat a little bit, they sing a little bit, you know. Look at the story that he told over. Of course, Shalom Squadron was known as the Magid of Yerushalayim. Um, he says, there were two villagers. And <clears throat> in many villages around the world, the custom was, at the end of the day, was to go into the local pub, local bar and tavern, and drink. That's the way it was. And go have a little shot of whiskey, scotch. That's what they did. So... Nighttime came, they worked a lot of hard labor, and they found their way in the local pub. And they started, uh, they took a shot, the drinking, and uh, they drank a quarter of the glass, and then another shot, and then another shot, and then all of a sudden, it was a lot of whiskey. It was like we're going through a whole bottle now, these two guys. One of the villagers turns to his friend, looks at him, and he says in a drunk voice, Hey, friend. Do you love me? Do you love me? And the guy says back, Sure, I love you. Boom, and he drinks again. And then the first guy looks at him and goes, But do you know my troubles? Do you know what I'm going through in my life? And the second guy, and the guy goes, No, I don't know what's going on in your life. So how can you say that you love me if you don't even know what I'm going through? You don't have any idea. Of what's worrying me, of what's going through my mind, what's going through my head. You know, any idea of why I can't sleep at night? So, how can you say that you love me? This mashal really pierced the hearts of, of the Rebbe and the people listening. The true words that he wanted to understand how can a person be called an Ohev Yisrael, a lover of Yisrael, without actually knowing what our friends are feeling? shevet achim gam yachad brothers dwelling together at the very least if you're living together if you're connected with each other at the very least know what your brother is feeling know what he's going through what's troubling him sense the pain of his heart understand what's on his mind that's the minimum requirement for shevet achim gam yachad but says Rav Shvadron there's a higher level of shevet achim gam yachad of brothers living together it's it's common knowledge that when twins uh, are born, even from very young, they often identify with each other's needs. One cries, the other one cries. Nothing happened to the other one. Only one of them got hurt. But ah, he sees his brother crying, so he starts crying. Uh, so even as babies, brothers have a gam yachad relationship, and each one is sensing their pain and crying along with him. But Moshe Benu his gam yachad, was exponentially greater than this. It was literal. And we see it in this week's Perashah. Two brothers, Moshe and Aharon. The Pasuk says, bene Yisrael. and you shall command B'nei Yisrael, Veichu elecha, veichu elecha, and they shall take for you, pure olive oil, katit lamaor, pressed for illumination. Why does the pasuk say Take for you. Hashem's talking to Moshe. Speak to him in Yisrael. Take for you. Was the oil designated for Moshe? No. The oil was designated for Aaron. Who was the one who was supposed to light the menorah? It was Aaron. It should say What's elecha"? It was Aaron's, uh, his brother, who lit the menorah. It's a famous question. It's a question that's asked by the Orach Chaim, okay, and other uh, Mefarshim in the Torah. This is what the Chachamim explained. In Parashat Shemot, Moshe Rabbeinu declines to go to Mitzrayim. Doesn't want to go, shalach na please Hashem, I can't do it, I have the speech impediment, we spoke about that in the class. Giving all that, it's they're not gonna believe me, then whoever you want to send, send, this is not for me. And the Torah tells us, Vayichar af Hashem that the wrath of God came on Moshe. And he said, Halo Aaron, Hello, Isn't Aaron your brother with you? Uh, 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 I'm forgetting the words. Uh, something along those lines. I know that he's going to speak on behalf of you. He's going to meet you. And he's going, to, he's going to happily do it. Your brother Aaron is going to be the person who's relaying the message. Which is exactly what happened. Um, and at that moment, Moshe Abenu was, was, was punished, that he would not be the Kohen, but rather he's going to be the Levi, and Aaron was going to be the Kohen. So Rashi, on that pasuk, cites two opinions. Um, Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha says in the Gemara, that every time the word Vayichar, Af, Hashem, is used, every time that God flared in his anger, there's always an, a lasting mark, a punishment that's coming down. But Rabbi Yosei says this was an exception. He said that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't get punished. God was really upset at him, but he didn't get punished. Rabbi Yosei argues with Rabbi Yosei. And he says, no, Moshe got punished. He got punished here. There is a mark. What's the mark? Halo, Aaron, Levi. Your brother Aaron, was the Levi, no longer is going to be a Levi. He's going to be the Kohen. You were meant to be the Kohen. You lost the uh, priesthood as a result of this I intended that the Keunah would come from you but now it's not now that you angered me now you're going to remain uh, a Levi he will be the Kohen you're going to be a Levi so that statement by by, by Moshe was he, he, he got punished and he lost the Keunah to his brother Aharon. what was Moshe Rabbeinu's response to that how do you react Oops. I made a big boo boo. <laughs> right? What do you do? Your brother now is is the guy who is serving Akados Parohu in the in the most amazing ways possible, and not you, and knowing that it could have been you. Let's look at those three Psukimentailin. Hine Matov Umanaim Shevet Achim yachad. Again, behold, how good, how pleasant is the dwellers of brothers, moreover, in unity. Ke shemen hatov al harosh yored zakan like the precious oil upon the head running down upon the beard zakan aharon like the beard of aharon she al midotav running down on his garments ketal chermon she yored al hareres sion so too does the dew of hermon descend upon upon the mountains of sion who were literally Gam Yachad together? Moshe and Aharon. What does it mean? hatov yoreh zakan like precious oil running down upon the beard. The beard of Aharon. This is the oil that Moshe Rabbeinu used to anoint Aharon and that oil ran down his face to his beard. Now why is the word zakan mentioned twice in Tehilim? It says, and then Zekan Aharon. Why is it mentioned twice? Just say, okay, we know it's Aaron. Aaron didn't have two beards, he had one beard. So Midrash tells us the first one, the first mention of Zekan is Mose's beard. The second one is Aaron, because it says Zekan Aharon. Where's Mose's beard? Where's us? Chachamim explained that when Mose was anointing Aharon to be the Kohen Gadol, to be the priest and the oil was running down Aaron's head, down to his beard, Moshe grabbed his own beard with a sense of actual physical pleasure, as if he was the one that was experiencing this phenomenon. He was totally intensely involved in this, that he was grabbing his own beard, and he felt like the oil was coming down on his beard. And Moshe Rabbeinu, when he realizes he was afraid, that he misused... The oil, the Shemina Mishcha, there's something called me'ilah. Me'ilah is a sin to misuse holy objects. So Moshe Rabbeinu was worried, uh-oh, maybe by me going like this, I'm so connected. that's how involved, that's how happy he was for his brother, that he actually thought he was misusing oil that wasn't even on him. But that, that's the enjoyment and the pleasure that he had. That's how Moshe Rabbeinu felt about his punishment. He didn't sit in the corner to mope and complain and say, this is not fair. I'm starting I'm starting my own uh, shul. I'm starting my own religion. I'm getting out of here. Who is he to start? No. What about me? No. I'm here. This is what he felt. He anointed his brother, something that was taken away from him, and he was so happy. He was so filled with pleasure in his brother's happiness that he thought he was committing me'ilah. And that's the meaning of the Pasuk. It's unbelievable. Do we have any idea, do we have any inkling on what an exalted level this is of Moshe Rabenu? Were we to live a thousand years, who knows that we can understand something like this. And that's who Moshe Rabenu was. That's the man who received the Torah on our behalf. Because Moshe Rabenu was concerned that maybe he cre- he, he transgressed me'ilah, HaKadosh Baruch told him, don't worry. Don't worry. So too the dew of the Chermon of the, the, the descends on the mountains of Zion. Just like the dew on Har Chermon does not constitute a misuse of a holy object, neither you you didn't do anything wrong with your oil of, uh, of anointment. What is the Chermon? The Chermon is a tall mountain in the northern of Israel, okay? That people go skiing on because there's snow and ice on it all year. All right, and and uh, a reference to uh, it, it, uh, to do falling in Jerusalem or in Tel Aviv or in Haifa. Maybe that has some meaning. But what sort of impression does it make? Does dew make when it lands on the snow of Hermon Why do I care that there's dew on the mountains of Khelmon? Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu. That's exactly the point. You're worried because you experience physical pleasure, but you have no body. You are so holy at this moment, Moshe. You have purified yourself to an extent that it's 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 not feasible for you to experience something physical. And Alachad uh, Kama think that you're misusing it. Moshe Rabbeinu purified his body that his whole that his whole goof went up to Shemayim. For us, when we die after 120, our neshamot go up to Shemayim. Our body rots in the ground. Abenu wasn't like that. It's the whole goof went up. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need to eat. He didn't need to drink when he was on Harsinai for 40 days and 40 nights. It self-sustained itself. Because it was all spirituality for him. The soul does not require food. It does not require water. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't blast off into a rocket in order to reach heaven. If he had, he wouldn't have arrived. Heaven's way too tall. How did he get there? He got there through a process of purification. That's the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the meaning of, <laughs> of Ketal Chemon Sheyored Al Harare Sion. The dew of Chemon descends upon the, uh, 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 the, the Mount of Zion. There was a rabbi, big Sadiq, who would fast from week to week. Many people did this. My, my great-grandmother used to do this. She used to fast from uh, Erev Shabbat to Erev Shabbat. Not including Shabbat. All right? And these people were extremely holy. But when it came to Shabbat, this rabbi, he would eat but eat, like you have no idea. But people thought, people were watching him and saying, once, once this, rabbi, this rabbi's brother saw, he goes, I can't let my brother eat there. So he would eat with his brother, right? And he, until he got sick, they had to call doctors because the brother, didn't, the brother was eating because he only saw the tzaddik eat. But too much food consumption, you get sick. You had to call the doctors that uh, it was getting dangerous. The tzaddik was eating not because he needed to eat. The, the, the tzaddik was eating because I'm, I, I, I just need to survive, I just need to breathe. It's, a, it's not for anything physical pleasure. When you're thinking like that, then yeah, the food is going to weigh you down. And then and then, then it, it's no longer something that is spiritual. Although food is the most physical of beings things that we have in this world, for the least tzaddikim, it was something that was only spiritual. So when Moshe Rabbeinu went to God and said, God, did I misuse? the fragrant oil of anointment, the Shemen HaMishchah, a Baruch says, Just like Aaron, your brother, didn't transgress, you two are like this, don't worry, you didn't transgress. What an exalted world that our, uh, these, these tzaddikim uh, live by. Even if you were to fulfill every inch in this Bet Midrash, with books, teilim and Shi'urim and Divre Torah of original Torah thought, we wouldn't arrive at the beginning of the Torah sweetness. Because the Torah of Hashem temima, as David Amelach writes in Tehilim, the Torah of Hashem is perfect. After thousands and thousands of years of commentary, it's still whole, it's still perfect. Nothing is missing and we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn. And that's what Moshe Rabenu. that's what, Ve'atate tzaveh, this is something that people are going to learn from you, the, your, your willingness to give it for your brother, the happiness that you displayed for your brother, That's what, and you didn't go and you, again open up your own synagogue and open up your own community, and you stuck with your brother, even though you made a mistake, that's what made Moshe Rabbeinu so special, that's what made him an even greater leader, that's what made him, adam, the humble, the most humble of all people, And that's the person who could acquire the Torah the best and the person who can impart the Torah the best. Wishing everybody a wonderful night.